going to read to us a passage of Scripture from 2 Chronicles, chapter 29. If you have a Bible, you may wish to turn and follow some of this with me. I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but portions of it. My title for this morning is this, Pursuing a Personal Revival. Pursuing a Personal Revival. Hezekiah was 25 years old when he became king. In the first month of the first year of his reign, he opened the doors of the temple of the Lord and repaired them. He brought in the priests and the Levites and assembled them in the square on the east side and said, Listen to me, Levites. Consecrate yourselves now and consecrate the temple of the Lord the God of your fathers. Remove all defilement from the sanctuary. Our fathers were unfaithful. They did evil in the eyes of the Lord our God and forsook Him. They turned their faces away from the Lord's dwelling place and turned their backs on Him. They also shut the doors of the portico and put out the lamps. Verse 10. Now I intend to make a covenant with the Lord, the God of Israel, so that His fierce anger will turn away from us. My sons, do not be negligent now, for the Lord has chosen you to stand before Him and serve Him, to minister before Him and to burn incense. Then these Levites set to work. Verse 15. When they had assembled their brothers and consecrated themselves, they went in to purify the temple of the Lord, as the king had ordered, following the word of the Lord. The priests went into the sanctuary of the Lord to purify it. They brought out to the courtyard of the Lord's temple every unclean uh, thing that they found in the temple of the Lord. The Levites took it and carried it out to the Kidron Valley. They began the consecration on the first day of the first month. And by the eighth day of the eighth month, they'd reached the portico of the Lord. For eight more days, they consecrated the temple of the Lord itself, finishing on the sixteenth day of the first month. Then they went into King Hezekiah and reported, We have purified the entire temple of the Lord, the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils, and the table for setting out the consecrated bread, with all its articles. We've prepared and consecrated all the articles that King Ahaz removed in his unfaithfulness while he was king. They are now in front of the Lord's altar. Early the next morning, King Hezekiah gathered the city officials together and they went up to the temple of the Lord. They brought seven bulls, seven rams, seven male lambs, seven male goats as a sin offering for the kingdom and for the sanctuary and for Judah. The king commanded the priests, the descendants of Aaron, to offer these on the altar to the Lord. A bit further on it says this, verse 31, Then Hezekiah said, You have now dedicated yourselves to the Lord. Come and bring sacrifices and thank offerings to the temple of the Lord. So the assembly brought sacrifices and thank offerings. All those whose hearts were willing brought burnt offerings. And finally at the end of the chapter it says this, So the service of the temple of the Lord was re-established. Hezekiah and all the people rejoiced at what God had brought about for his people. 
because it was done so quickly. Last week, I heard a story. And as I heard this story, my own heart and soul began to stir. And the story comes from a church that's also in the UK and that's also linked in with Pastor Caesar in Bogota. And the pastor of that church was telling me this. He said, there is a person in my church who had arranged to go away on a conference. But for various reasons, the conference didn't take place. But he went away anyway. And while he was away, he met with God. And he met with God in such a way that he's come back a changed man. And there was no conference, no speakers, no ministry, just his going away. And now he's come back. He's so on fire for God. He's praying like he's never prayed before. He's having dreams in the night. And the Spirit of God is speaking to him. And he's so stirred up. And he's, he, we've cancelled our preaching schedule. And for the last two weeks, he's got up on Sunday morning and he's ministered the Word and there's such passion and power and, and, and fire in him. People are saying, what's happened to him? He's changed. And after the meeting, people are coming up and he's praying for them. And he's laying hands on them for the fire of God to fall on their lives. Listen. We may have to wait for a revival in the nation a little bit longer. But we don't have to wait to pursue a personal revival in the Holy Spirit of God. It begins right now, if we want it to. I was so stirred when I heard that story, because, you know, it is stirring to hear about others who are being touched by the Spirit of God. Because it makes it real and here and now and it makes it attainable. It brings it within our own reach to reach out for and draw it into ourselves. Do you know John Wesley's mother, Susanna, was also famous. She was famous because she brought him up and she had him. But her own husband was a, a church leader and her own father-in-law was a tremendous man of God who stirred the nation so much so that King Charles II personally issued an act of parliament that said anybody that had this man, John Wesley's grandfather, in their house would be fined 20 pounds. That's more than a year's income. Just to have him in the house. John Wesley came from great stock. And this is how his mother made her impact. In those days, women were not allowed to be priests or ministers in the church. In those days, women weren't allowed to do any kind of ministry at all, but as her husband was away, she felt stirred in her spirit. And she felt stirred because she read the story of some Danish missionaries who, like this man I've mentioned just now, found 
a tremendous personal revival going on in their own hearts. And she read this story, and it so stirred her, she said, I've got to do something. And that's what she did. She began with her children to pray with them day by day. And people got to hear of this, and they got to hear of how the children, John included, were being stirred as their mother was being stirred, as a personal revival was growing in her heart. And they said, can we come and take part in your family devotions? And they did. And within a very short space of time, she had 30 extra people in the house taking part in the family devotions. And then it grew to 40. And eventually it grew to 200. And then they couldn't get the people in the house. There were more outside. And she wrote to her husband and said, I'm really worried. People are criticizing me because I'm a woman and I'm leading a meeting and I'm leading people and I'm leading prayers. She said, I didn't want to lead prayers last week, but they begged me to pray. That's what a personal revival can do. And her husband was a bit, oh, I'm not sure about this myself. But God was sure and she kept going. And that same personal revival took place in her son. And that same personal revival took place in other people in their day. There's a famous Scottish philosopher, well, I suppose he's famous if A, you studied Scot uh, philosophy, or B, you're Scottish. I'm not looking in any particular direction, but I will in a moment. Where is he? There he is down there. <laughs> David Hume lived in the same century as Susanna Wesley and John Wesley and another great revivalist, George Whitfield. And one day, David Hume was walking down the road in London, and a man he knew stopped him and said, where are you off to so bright and early on such a long walk? And he said, I'm going to hear George Whitfield preach. And the man laughed at him and said, but you're a deist. You don't believe the Bible. You don't believe God as the Christians preach him. You don't believe a single word George Whitfield preaches. He said, I know, but I'm going to listen to him because he does believe it. You see, when a personal revival takes place in our lives, it spills over into other people. And they get to notice it too. Today I want to speak to you about pursuing a personal revival. And two days after I heard this story, and starting to feel my own spirits stirred, and stirred again, just by what God was doing. One man down the road, God spoke to me through the chapter we've just read. And I want to pick out four simple things to help us see how we can all enjoy a personal revival. The first thing I notice in this chapter is past problems. See, before Hezekiah became king, there was another king on the throne called King Ahaz, not to be confused with Ahab. But like Ahab, Ahaz was not a good king. And he had set the whole country up not to seek God. He had completely abandoned the true and living God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And when Hezekiah came to the throne, it says the first thing he did in the first month of the first year before anything else, he wanted to get back into the presence of God. And can I suggest this to you? That for any of us, if we want our lives to go better, if we want to 
raise up to a new level, if we want to go on beyond where we are, if we want to see something grow and improve, the best place to start is by seeking the presence of God. If only our government had started there like King Hezekiah did, we would be in a different place today. But you know they could still start now and so can we. And Hezekiah realized there were past problems and he said, I want you to go to the temple and open the door and get us in. You see, the past can shut the door on the presence of God in our lives. Not only had they shut the door, it said, but they'd even turned the lights off. Nobody was at home and the lights were out. Do you know, there are many in our nation for whom that's true spiritually, and it can be even true of us. The doors to the presence of God may have shut on our lives, and we may feel they're stuck shut, and they were here. They've been shut for so long, it took an effort. They had to get WD-40 or whatever they had in those days out, and they had to work those doors, and they creaked, and they groaned, and they took effort and energy, but with persistence, they open the doors to the presence of God. Past problems can keep us out of the presence of God. And not all the past problems were of their own making. The previous generation had shut the door to the way of God. Jesus says this. He says to the Pharisees, he says, you have shut up the kingdom of God to others. And do you know religion and tradition, and there's plenty of that in this country, and there may be in our own families and in our own lives, that can shut the door to the kingdom of God in our lives. But thank God, the Spirit of God is able to part those doors and open them again. And not only is it religion and tradition, but our family circumstances the things that have happened in our families can also shut the door on the presence of God in our lives. Things done by our forefathers, things done by our parents, to us, around us, in our family, all of those things can bring spiritual darkness and bondage on our family. But I want to tell you today, God can open the stiffest, most rusted up doors of anybody's life and make the way open into the presence of God again. Past problems. The second thing I want to look at here is personal response. Now, you know how it is with a reigning monarch. They speak on behalf of the people. That's why the Queen says, we. Oh, we did like our Jubilee party last weekend. We thank you all our loyal subjects. No, she's not really like that, but you know what I mean? Kings and queens can speak like that. We are not amused. Do you remember that famous quote from English history? Well, King Hezekiah was a king, and he spoke on behalf of the people. We're going to do this. We're going to open the temple. We are going to get lights on in there again. We are going to put God in his right place in the nation again. 
But then he makes a personal response in verse 10. And he says this, Now I intend to make a covenant with the Lord, the God of Israel. And there comes a point for any of us, although this is a together walk with God and a together experience in the body of Christ, and that's a tremendous thing to be together in ourselves, in our marriages, in our families, in our church congregation together, there is also a really central, important place for our own personal, individual response. And Hezekiah said this, I intend to make a covenant with God. And in doing that, he stood before all the people and said that. My own personal response as the king of this nation is to seek the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, the God of Gods for a personal revival. He was pursuing his own personal revival. He was saying to them, whatever else the nation does, I, as an individual, I am making my own personal response. Can anybody say that? Today, I intend to pursue my own personal revival like that guy down the road. There is a place for personal response. Now, how do we do that? How do we pursue a personal response? That's the third thing. The third thing in this story is this. There was a pushing through. Now, when Hezekiah sent them to the temple, there was essentially two problems. Problem number one, there was stuff in the temple that should not be there. And problem number two, there was stuff not in the temple that should be there. In fact, there was so much stuff in the temple that they couldn't even get to the door to open it for a week. It's like a teenager's bedroom. Some of the parents know what I'm talking about. Very quiet over here, by the way. It says it took them eight days. By the way, for, for us, a, a week is seven days, but in Jewish time scales, you count the day you start on and the day you finish on, so a week is eight days. So a fortnight is 16 days. That's just cultural difference, so you understand that from the story here. It said for one whole week, they were moving the junk away to get to the door. There was stuff there that didn't ought to be there, and it was barring the way to experiencing the presence of God. And after a week, they found the door. And they opened it. I wonder how many of us have things in our lives that didn't ought to be there. Praise God. We can do what they did there. We can pick it up and take it to the Kidron Valley. Now, the Kidron Valley sounds dead posh. A few years ago, my roommate, when I was in university, he had, sorry, many years ago, my roommate, when I was in university, he had a leaflet sent to him 
from a Bible publishing house, trying to sell him books, you know. And he said, look, Clive, I really ought to buy this Bible. It's got, wait for it, a Kidron leather cover. A Kidron, well, I thought, I don't know what Kidron leather is, but it sure sounds good. It sounds better than ordinary leather or calves leather or goat leather. Kidron leather. Sounds really po- Actually, Kidron is the municipal dump. It's the place where you take all that rubbish that you can't get in your wheelie bins. It's the council yard where you hoy all those stuff in the big bins there. There's one down in Leamington, if you need to know where it is. It's when they took it to the Kidron Valley, they were taking it to the tip. They were taking it to the council yard where it was going to be crushed and broken and whatever else happened to it there, filled in in landfill or burned or whatever. How do you get to do that? The people that took that rubbish out were the priests. And priests speak to us of getting before God in prayer, seeking the face of God. And if we want to remove the rubbish in our lives, we need to be priestly. We need to get down before God and begin to pray. And let Him speak to our hearts and show us what to do. And sometimes it needs serious business. This is not British praying. Dear Lord, if it be thy will, please help me today. Amen. This is like the preacher Bob Mumford once described. When God spoke to him, he was sitting on the sofa reading his Bible. And he said, by the time I finished, I was on the floor with my face in the carpet, weeping before God of what was in my life that shouldn't be there. And God delivered him. That's how it is. That's how we come before the Lord God and remove stuff to the Kidron Valley. And then he says there's stuff that needs to be brought in before the altar. And the altar says to us, sacrifice. See, in those days they had various instruments like knives to kill the sacrifice with them, bowls to put things in, and vessels of gold to perform all the various sacrifices in. Things for incense. And instead of being in front of the altar... In the days of King Ahaz, they'd relegated those. We don't really need those here. Let's put them in some storeroom out the back somewhere. And there it sits and gets mouldy for years. By the way, we model that very well in this building. There's storerooms here with bits of junk in from years ago. We have a clear occasion. We still find more. That's what it's like in our lives. And the things that should be sent to place end up in a room at the back. And then somebody comes along and says, oh, what's that doing? It's in the way of what I want to do. So they put it in a cupboard somewhere. And then it gets put in a box. And then it gets put in a loft. And then it gets put, something else gets put on top of it and it gets lost. And that's what had happened here. The things that really matter to God, step by step, got relegated to the edges. Isn't that true of so much in Christianity today? But it can also be true of our own lives as well. And the priests, once they got the door open, they cleaned up that place and they went searching for all those things. They said, let's bring back what really matters right in front of the altar. That's what this guy has done. His pastor was telling me 
that he's been having dreams and visions in the night. That he's just found himself praying when he's no intention of praying. He almost can't help himself. He's so desperate and passionate to connect with God like he's never connected before. This is pursuing a personal revival. And when those things get brought back in front of the altar, when the things that really matter, God's Word, faith, prayer, witness, fellowship, do you know the Bible says, not neglecting the assembling of yourselves together, as is the habit of some. These are the things that matter. And having them in front of the altar of God, rather than in some room and cupboard at the back somewhere, this is what makes for a great spirit. And as soon as that happens, things happen. After that, they dealt with sin. Tremendous worship breaks out. Their meetings just take off. They start giving offerings. Their offerings take off. God does an incredible work in their lives. And listen to this for the last point. The fourth point is found in the last verse that I read out there. Prompt response. Prompt result. Prompt result. Hezekiah and all the people rejoiced at what God had brought about for his people because it was done so quickly. Because it was done so quickly. Now, it's amazing to me that such strong men can be such wimps sometimes when it comes to little things like having a needle put in their arm or having a plaster torn off their hairy leg. Now, if you're a guy here, can't be a lady because you all shave your legs, but if you're a guy here and there's a big sticking plaster on your leg because you've injured yourself at some sport or another, and it comes the time you've got to get this plaster off, and it survived two weeks of showering and, and everything else, it's stuck on there real good. How do you like the plaster taken off? Have you ever been to the RBI here, had one of these things done? I've had a, these things done in, a couple of times in the last few years. And, there's two schools of thought. There's the take it slow and avoid pain where they pull the plaster up a hair at a time in the hope that it will be less painful. Or there's the way they train the nurses at the RVI here, which is like that, and then it's done. Do you know, pursuing a personal revival is like that. God can come along and in a moment. He can go, and suddenly, you find yourself in a different place, almost before you've noticed it. It took them just two weeks here. It took the guy I was speaking about earlier, he was away for six days. Now we can think, well, that's not long. Let me tell you this. A week is a long time in the kingdom of God. Let me tell you what Jesus did in a week. On one Sunday morning, he entered Jerusalem on a donkey and had crowds cheering him. He cursed a fig tree and caused it to wither. He walked in the temple for three days. He floored every religious group there and their arguments. And he did miracles. On Thursday, he was betrayed and had the Last Supper. On uh, Thursday night to Friday morning, he went through four different trials. On Friday, he was sentenced to death and died on a cross and buried. On Saturday, he was in the grave. On Sunday, he was alive and walking around again. All that in one week. A week 
is a long time in the kingdom. You can have a revival in less than a week. Does anybody believe that? Some of you do, that's good. There was a prompt result. Within two weeks, they turned the whole nation around. Wouldn't that go down well in Spain if you could tell them that? Or Greece if you could tell them that? Or the United Kingdom if you could tell them that? Or any nation in Europe if you could tell them that? Two weeks can change a nation. Six days can change your life. A week is a long time in the kingdom of God. God can move on you this week. And you can be in a different place next Sunday. You can be praying like you've never prayed before and you don't even know why because God is at work in your life because you've invited God to come to you and something has stirred in you and you're cooperating with the Spirit of God and those little nudges that says, leave the telly and pray now. Leave that book and call on me now. Read the Bible, not that. Don't do that. Don't go out there. Get to bed. Get up. The nudges from the Spirit can guide you through a week of revival. And you can turn up here next Sunday having had the most incredible week. That's what it is to pursue a personal revival. To finish with, I want to say this. I intend to pursue a personal revival. Now, I've been doing some stuff at home this week because I couldn't not do that when I heard that story. I felt drawn to it. Like Susanna Wesley felt drawn to the story of those Danish missionaries. Like the godless philosopher David Hume felt drawn to George Whitfield. I felt drawn to that man's story. This week I'm going to pray some more, but I'm going to come here to do it. Anybody that wants to join me is welcome. This is what's going to happen. I'm going to be here for a morning quiet time at 6 o'clock till about 7. You're welcome to join me if you want to. And I'm going to spend some time seeking God. And then after that, there will be a revival word for about 15 minutes. And then there will be another period of seeking God and seeking the face of God to pursue a personal revival. If you don't know how to do that, you want to find out, well then you're welcome to come. If you know how to do that and you just want to be with somebody to do that, then you're welcome to come. The invitation is there. The door is open and will be open in the mornings. And you can come if you can find some way of getting here and making the time. And together, we can seek the face of God and pursue a personal revival. Our nation may have to wait a little bit longer, but our own lives don't need to wait. Let's pray, shall we? If anybody is stirred and wants to know God better and pursue a personal revival in their own life, God invites you to come and kneel down, lie, whatever makes you comfortable at the front. Or move out into the aisles and just move position so that you've said to yourself and God, I intend, like Hezekiah, to do something of a personal response to the Lord.
Father, thank you today for the power of your Holy Spirit and your presence in this place and your approval on us all. Thank you. doesn't matter how rusty the hinges are, how rusted shut the doors are, how long the lights have been off, you want to open those doors by the power of Jesus' blood to break that rust and open the way into your presence. God, today, we're here before you to say we want more of you. More of your presence. Más de ti, Señor. En este día. More of you, Lord. And Lord, I believe your word to us is that you want more of us. More of our love. More of our response. More of our hearts. More of our affection. More of our worship and praise. More of our prayer. More of our commitment. More of our coming into that secret place with you. God, we want more of you. You want more of us. Today, Lord, we say, take more of me until you have all of me. God, I pray today for every one of us responding to you now, that you would begin a work in us that would mean we are pursuing a personal revival with our God. And that you are drawing us after you. Spirit of God, come down. Spirit of God, breathe on us now. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us. Fall afresh on me. Holy Spirit, breathe. Breathe. Breath of life. Sopla. Sopla. Aliento de vida. En nuestras vidas. Breathe today. On us now, on our lives, Lord. Breathe on us now. Touch our hearts. Oh, God, I want a personal revival in you. God, today, I call out to you for a personal revival in you, in me, with us, in us, with you, oh God. Revive us today. Breathe, Holy Spirit of God. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Oh, God. Bless you. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we pray you'll go on breathing your breath on us. Today, this moment, this week. In the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Thank you, Lord. Let's give God a great hand of applause for His goodness for today.